namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa I will awaken quickly with and for all sentient beings and for all beings wisdom compassion and non-clinging awareness So for some of you uh, not very many but for some of you uh, it's the last uh, evening of teaching I'd like to say how much I've enjoyed uh, your presence here. It's a joy. So what a great group. So uh, hopefully we'll be meeting again soon, different places and different times. Thank you for all your contributions. I think we'll, um, we'll see. We'll see how we enter this. This, uh, this section on um, on karma and its result uh, is so important and so misunderstood and so twisted and so twisted in people's minds. And it's very difficult for the uh, black and white mind, the uh, fixated mind, to to comprehend. So uh, as we go along, I'll make some more comments. One comment I want to make is that the uh, in, in scholarly terms, it's called the theory of karma. Now, you have to understand, in India... The view of, of karma, the view of why things happen. Uh, would you like some water, Terry? Yeah. The view of why things happen is very much tied into a feeling of fate and of a creator god starting everything in motion and um, activities uh, having started from the very, very long ago, from eons and eons and eons ago. The, the view that's come over of, as a fatalistic, um, that we're fated to do certain things, that things happen to us because uh, this happened, then this happened, that this happened and then this arose because of that, is a very primitive form of an idea of karma, cause and effect. But for many people, many, 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 many people, uh, one cause, one effect is about all they can handle. Sound familiar? It's not all the time. The vegetables in the garden failed because of the weather. The, this happened because of that. I ended up here because of that. I got sick because of that. So there's something, and this has been studied uh, neurophysiologically and, and um, in, in cognitive psychology, there is something about the human brain, the way it's wired, if you wish. Not to say hardwired, softwired, soft hardwired, that wishes to have stories and explanations about things that are quite simple and quite easy to understand. And then it's solved. The anxiety is gone. So all you have to do is tell someone a story that kind of makes sense to them. And then they're happy. They can put it away and they don't have to worry about it. 
this is now known well in, in political circles, is don't make anything complicated for the public, even the sophisticated public. Just make it black and white and speak to uh, the frame of reference they're in so they can understand it, and it's all done. It can be an incredible lie. It can be nothing to do with it at all. It doesn't matter. It's solved because it's a simple uh, explanation. Do you, you follow? But we do it all the time. The reason the house fell down was the reason, the reason, the reason, the reason. If you start introducing two or three hundred causal relations, nobody except someone trained like that is going to want to even hear it. And the brain is going to rebel against it. I don't believe it. I don't want... Just Would you just give me one story? I just remember when we were doing briefing notes for, for um, cabinet or for legislative assembly. You, you know, sometimes the editing job on it, we, we do one in editing jobs. No, too complicated. Just one message. That's all they want. One message. One message. Yeah, but, but these are... They don't care. So the first thing is is to teach people how to get better. I may never get to this tonight, but, but it's, it's wonderful. But how to become better human beings and come out of misery and begin to be able to even enter the life of Dharma to awaken requires actually a fairly wrenching view of life, which is... Uh, if, it's, if it's too complex, people won't do it. But if it's, listen, what you do and what you think about sets up effects which will cause you harm and others harm, and it's indefinite when it ripens. could be instantly. It could be a year later. It could be a month later. It could be a lifetime later. It could be one eon later. 4.32 billion years. One eon later, when it hits. So, because of that, you better start changing and doing wholesome things. As an explanation of how everything around you works, right? Isn't it pretty satisfying? But you see, it's not quite like it. Nor did the Buddha explain it that way. But that's the general popular way. And actually, if you're talking to the general public, it's not a bad way because it gets them to start to do positive things which build positive results in their lives, and their lives are better lives. Make sense? Like, in other words, stop killing people, would you? You know? If you're talking to the general would you stop killing people? Stop being a bandit. Stop being a murderer. Stop robbing uh, people in, on the highway. Stop... Um, creating he is don't and, and stop the, the lousy speech and you'll feel better and the people around you will feel better. Do you, do you see? And it's actually quite simple. And in, in fact, it's true. It's true. But you see it's much more it's deeper than that. And we still live in a world of blame of simple causes and effects that aren't true. We see this all the time. How did I get sick? How did I lose my money? Well, how could I possibly have gotten into a car accident? Why did it happen to me? Why did it happen to them? Simple explanation. We do it all the time. At least some of us do. Yeah. 
Life doesn't work that way. But it takes, what it does is it takes a mental impulsion to be somewhere, and it also takes patterning, like waves, and a supportive condition to allow it to come about. So this is very important. If there's no supportive condition for the uh, impressions or the patterning to arise, it doesn't happen. That's why it can happen tomorrow, the next day, the next year. And it, nothing is born. You only, do, you only learn this if you really study Abhidhamma and the last teaching of the Abhidhamma, the seventh book, which hardly ever studied, the Patana. And you practice Patana meditation. Nothing is born out of one cause. You're not born out of one cause. You've got two minds that birthed you. They had to come together, yes? Anybody immaculately conceived here? Maybe. It's possible, right? We'll, give, we'll say, okay, maybe one of, one of you were immaculately conceived, but not all of you. Yeah, that's pretty rare. So, so it, first of all, it took two minds, and I don't get into one mind business, two minds to have the uh, concept, conceiving ideas, right? To make love or have sex, which gave birth to a human being. That's just two. You have to have the right supporting circumstances. You have to have uh, perhaps no contraception. But sometimes there is contraception. You have to have the right chemistry in the, in the vagina. You have to have uh, sperm that are motile. You have to have this, and you have to have that, and maybe the, the uh, chemistry of the food you're eating isn't right, and the mental state, and so on, you see? It's vast, and the season, and the time of the month. So then you say, well, it's all you. It's not all you. Karma's not all about you. But then you still have to take resp- responsibility for the major impulses and patterning of life. So when you think of karma, the word karma, it simply means car, car. actually the root is K-R, kr, kr, or car, which is where our word car comes from, C-A-R, which means car, to, tra- to move. So kar- karma is karma, which means to move supportedly, supported movement. Yeah? It's the activity, and there's a result called wapaka, this, as this morning. So it's very important to understand that karma really is mental impressions laid out like maps. And the more you reinforce them with supporting circumstances like waves, eventually there will be tsunamis. Make sense? Mm -hmm. But it takes certain patterns of geology and coastal lines and all kinds of complicated factors to allow a tsunami to take place. So you can have some really bad thoughts for a long time, and they never ripen in this lifetime, because the present supporting circumstances never came along. And you can hope like this your whole life, and it never will. That's taking a big chance. So. Even at a neurophysiological level, 
just a plain what we know about how the brain works, about how cognition works. Cognition, knowing, how knowing works, how information works. It's actually quite straightforward on that level. We don't have to get too mystical at the moment. Is the patterns laid down that get reinforced by being in a certain environment, right? A present, what the Buddha called present supporting environment, will strengthen or weaken these patterns. Let me give you an example so you understand it, hopefully. If you drop a pebble in a pond, what happens? A compound. Ripples, yes? What happens if you put a rock in the way of the ripples? It breaks up. Hmm? What happens if you put different patterns of rock? It can break up and it can get very tiny and you may not even notice those ripples are there. So even though the pebble drops into the pond, the thought drops into the pond, the different kinds of environment and present supporting circumstances will, will change how that thought pattern, that map, actually gets printed out. Does that make sense? So give me an example. We're sitting around the table, having supper, and someone starts to be negative. Once again, about the property situation on Galliano. Right, Nancy? Probably a, at one time a popular point of talk, yes? Yes. About forced lot ownerships. Okay. And it starts once again. I've been there. Yeah. So I don't go out that much. Okay. Okay. You sit down, forest lot ownership, you know, how do you stand on it? And this sort of, and it, gets, it can get very negative. Well, that's just like waves going out like this. But if there's no present supporting circumstance to support it, like all of a sudden, hey, did you hear about the new library project? Yeah, isn't that a great idea, right? We're going to build a new library and, gal- and it's a positive thing. Or, you know what we just did? We just built a garden and we did this and we put in this and we used uh, the extract uh, of the coffee ground or the, the water from the bucket underneath the espresso machine and we put it in the garden. It's great fertilizer. Is that right? So what happens to the ripples concerning the forest lot problem? And where do you stand on the forest lot problem? Against us or with us? Did you hear about the clown that was on Galliano Island last week? No, I didn't. It's a rock in the pond and the waves are now being dispersed. Yes? It doesn't have a chance for that time. Do you understand how it works? So the impulses and the maps must have the right supportive circumstances to ripen. So one of the reasons we do retreats, and we shut up, we be quiet, and we don't talk, is we don't create more ripples and ripples of the same patterns. We see if those ripples can actually start to subside. Understand? We don't keep reinforcing them by having people chatter idly with you and gossip. Why? Because we want the patterns, those ripples, to dry up and dry up and dry up because then there's a chance that one could experience the drying up of the view 
of one's self-image. So really the solution to the, the great solution to drying up karmic patterns is what? Is seeing through the self-clinging. So let me give you an example, another example of this. If you look at yourself in the mirror, you'll, I hope you'll get this. This is very, very straightforward. This is what we do in, in Mahamudra or Zogchen. If you look at yourself in a mirror, what do you see? You may react. Look at that nose. It's not quite right. It could be better. Those eyes aren't as close as they could be. Maybe I'm not so good. Look at those wrinkles. Oh my God, I detected my first wrinkle. What are you looking at? You're looking at an image in the mirror. You're not even looking at yourself. And yet you believe you're looking at yourself. You're not even looking at yourself. What would happen with all the impulses if the image in the mirror was seen simply as an image in a mirror for what it is? A reflection of an appearance. The waves have nowhere to go. They stick to nothing. They only stick to that which is a mind creation. If you know it's a mind creation, they fall immediately. They have no energy. You take the guts out of it. Like sticking a rock in a pond or little rocks and it breaks it all up and you watch and go, <laughs> it's all broken up. Yeah. Like you have waves, you have ripples in a pond and you just stick your finger like this. Break it all up. Do you ever do that? That's fine. Break it all up. So, uh, karma is actually a, at a more sophisticated meditative level. A teaching of interdependent origination, of which on one level it's like a chain, on another level, which is even deeper, it is hundreds of interconnecting fabrics of causality that give rise to any birthing. Yes? And because it's an interdependent arising, it is totally free. Therefore, there is no fate in karma. And you, as an actor, can interfere with karma because you can go and break up the links. Break up the links, you can break up the present supporting circumstances and shatter those waves so they have less effect less effect, less effect. The most direct way is to see that there's actually nothing being affected. There's no being truly being affected, like, like, like a being in a mirror. But that's hard to do, right? We know that's hard to do. That means realization of nature, of the empty nature of self. But before you get there, you've got to reduce the wave action so it's not bowling you over. How do you do that? You change the presence support. You change the environments which breaks up the patterning. Do you understand the principle? Change the environment to support 
the breakup of patterning that happens again and again. That's why we have retreat environments. Wholesome places with good food, a lovely sound of birds, out of a polluted, busy environment, away from the cell phone, away from the internet, away from perhaps a family environment, which could be good, but still is full of patterning. You see? Do you get the idea? That's one way. And then we, by awareness and mindfulness, which must be done, we start to interfere with the wave actions that emanate out. Things like you catch yourself. Well, I couldn't be ever... You remember that? That, that, that famous moment? Well, I, closer and closer to what? So you really have your internal guru going, <clears throat> but I feel that I could never, I could, you see, so it gets closer and closer and closer to what? Not even a thought. You have to get, that's why the mindfulness, you don't have mindfulness, you can't become liberated. There's no way. The speech and the patterns will go on as on and on and on, too weak, way too weak, way too weak. You must be able to interfere. Why? You place wholesome activity in those patterns. Instead of saying, I can't, you learn to do. You do good things for people. You stretch yourself. Instead of sleeping, you go for a walk. Wow. You know, normally I go to sleep in the afternoon and uh, after lunch and uh, I'm wiped out or maybe at 6 o'clock in the afternoon or I get bagged in the morning with a nap, you know, something like that. And then one day you go, well, you know, Lama said, why don't I go and breathe or something, try pre-breathing or some Feldenkrais or some yoga or I'll go for a walk and wow. That's the change of karmic patterns. Did you fall? Change of karma. Simple as that. So there's a lot of blame going on. And it's not all about you. There's, there's, there's other kinds of factors. And the Buddha talked about these factors. Like you can get sick from other causes but your mind. How come they don't put that in the writings? Because it's too complicated. Yeah? Unseen forces. He talked about seasonality. How, how one form of karma is seasonality. It's debatable whether he really talked about collective karma. Most of it was about your, your, your activities, your mental activities. Hmm? There's a lot going on in the universe which are waves coming from other sources building and in interacting with that which you've got going. Do you, do you understand? It's bloody complex. And it's said traditionally, both in the Mahayana and in the Theravada tradition, that only a fully enlightened being, a Buddha, can see all those causal interconnections. Nobody else can. Supposedly. Nobody else can. All the rest is is partial, slight, 
or on-the-edge delusion or serious delusion. So this teaching in the book uh, is strong medicine for delusional minds, but they need simple rules to follow. Do you see? It's utterly compassionate. Utterly compassionate. Give me a rule I can follow. Right. Stop doing anything bad. Here's what the bad things are. Well, tell me, what's a bad thing? You're sophisticated, right? At least you, you might have an inkling of what a bad thing is. A lot of people, well, what's a bad thing? Well, robbing's bad. Stealing's bad. Stealing little things is bad. Taking little things is bad. So you see in the text, really bad, not so bad, mediocrely bad, and tiny bad. You see how they, they do it? But you, that training is necessary because the mindfulness isn't high enough to be able to spend the time going, wow, I just caught a subtle mind uh, tone that taints uh, every time I eat in a negative way. I just caught a negative mind tone that says, I shouldn't take care of myself. I, I shouldn't expend energy on that. Did you understand? And the only way you're going to catch those is, one, someone who's very wise points that out to you and you trust them, or better even still, you get to see it because you see the pattern and you've got the evidence and you go, enough. Let's put up a pebble. Let's put up a little thing in the water so the waves get broken up. What's that? A new idea. So this, this text is very, very important because it spells out a range of positive and negative actions and their resultants in a very simplified way. If you create a negative act, you don't automatically go to hell. This has to do with a lot of factors, including billions of lifetimes interconnecting and which one manifests at a given point. Because you're, you're complex minds. But on a very, very beautiful level, if you really want to understand karma and rebirth, as some of the greatest teachers have said, and I think you'll come to it, what you are right now, and we're not talking about what kind of little things you did during the day, but what you're on about right now, the major part of your day, what you're really on about, is where you've come from. And what you're really on about now is where you're going to go. It's that straightforward. It's the major impulsions of your life. Be careful you don't get caught in the little stuff. Little stuff often doesn't have a lot of power. But at the same time, little stuff can be the tip of an iceberg of some very big stuff. So that's where you have to have discrimination. What's draining your energy? What's What's make and, and what is really positive about your being? You need to know your strengths. A lot of people don't know their strengths. They don't know how to use their being that's strong. There's all kinds of people in this room, all kinds, everybody 
has unbelievable strengths, even if they have all kinds of problems. But they're discounted. Ah, that's not good. And you need to and this is about building those strengths. You build the strengths until they become so powerful they begin to erode the ones that are patterns. So as Namjo Rinpoche said many times, clearing the womb, which is the which is the basic patterning that you've got going now, what you're carrying around now, the womb around you, that little envelope or big envelope, it might feel like a big envelope, that you carry daily. The I should, I will, I won't, I want to, I can do this, I'm tired, I'm a tired person, I'm a happy person, I'm a great person, I'm a dull person. All the views about you and feeling, the feeling tone, the physiological feeling tone, is an envelope, as he said, primarily laid down in the womb due to karmic formations. And karmic formations, according to Rinpoche, which was not, not brought out by many. It's more and more. I think he was one of the first per people to ever um, really be clear about it, is genetics. You've got profoundly strong genetic coding in you mixed with waves and waves of waves of mental maps and pre-existing mental maps and maps that are brought in in this lifetime all mixing together to shape the emanation, the formation, the manifestation that you call and other people call you, which are temporary bubblings of this vast interpenetration of genetic coding, genetic predispositions. Like some of us, some of you carry right now genes that give you a predisposition for heart failure. Sorry, but it's true. It doesn't mean it will ever manifest in this life. They may. They may not. And you can have pretty crummy mind states, and they still won't. It's that complex. But if you want to become uh, awake, and you don't want to put yourself into a living hell, then it's the most important thing you do is you build the mappings of the mind that generate wholesome activities, good activities, bright activities, luminous activities, saintly activities. So why did you take the bodhisattva commitments? To become a saint. You, you know you've committed to being a saint. I, hope you, I don't know if you've known that. But that's what you did. You committed to being a saint. In, the Christ, in, in Christian terms, you've committed to being a saint. That's a tall order, you might think. Well, why shouldn't you be a saint? Whoever told you you shouldn't be a saint. That's karmic. So you've inherited a karmic view of a culture in a certain place in terms of that says, nobody you can't become a saint. At another time, that pattern might be, of course you can become a saint. Why don't why don't we become a saint? You follow? This is mental, but it's physically based. If then, if your body is draggy and tired and you don't have energy and you don't have patience and so on and so forth, even if you have good ideas, you can't enact them. Hmm? So that has to be taken care of. That too is karmic. Whether it's genetic, whether it's a combination of genetics and mental mapping and other kinds of factors, 
doesn't matter. One by one by one, you need to take care, you need to take responsibility. Why? Because that bodhicitta can take responsibility. It's not fate. If you could understand the mirror analogy, you get it. It's like right now, you're an apparition in a mirror, but the apparition feels very solid. If you can take away that solidity, those karmic formations will have nowhere to alight. They'll just stop in their tracks. But all the references to the five skandhas of your feelings, your body, your mind, your formations, your perceptions all day long is like looking in a mirror and poking your finger at the image in the mirror saying, that's me, that's me. And of course you'll set up formations. Speech pattern is absolutely essential. You have to change your speech. You have to change. If you want to work on something, as Namjur Rinpoche said over and over again, work on your speech. Listen to your speech patterns. Change how you speak, not just your voice. I will speak like this now. So I will sound very deep and intelligent. <laughs> I will, I will lower my voice and speak in a different cadence to make a more uh, erudite and intelligent sounds so that all beings can hear me. And I sound like a radio announcer trained somewhere. <laughs> that won't do it. It's what's behind the words, what's behind the shapings that come out. And of course the tone will change too. But you can have a beautiful voice and a crummy mind. You can have a bit of a funny voice, a little squeaky voice, and you might have a beautiful mind. But the tone will change. The squeak can sound beautiful. The squeak will sound beautiful. <laughs> wow, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful squeak. What is presented here is a wake-up call, which is not, it's com you might see it's, it's complex, but it's basically A goes to B, right? C goes to D, but it's vastly interconnected. And Gampopa would have known that. As a fully awakened being, he would have known how vast this is. But why this? Because something's got to get people to wake up. And at a very basic level, he's abs it's absolutely dead on teaching. That, those patterns that are unwholesome create more patterns that are unwholesome. When you get yourself into a knot and you're pissed off, you poison yourself, you create more maps of that, and that's what you get to know how to do and behave. It lays down patterns. Even if you don't want to, it lays down patterns. We know this. You should know that. And if you allow yourself to be in an environment that supports those patterns, you're really in trouble. Either with a partner that supports it, or doesn't want anything to do with it. 
That's, that's what goes on a lot, right? Your, your dear partner wants nothing to do with it. You go see your therapist, thank you. Nothing, because they can't do anything with it. Yeah? Your, your family doesn't do anything about it. Your friends don't do anything about it because they don't want to hurt your feelings because they'll lose you as a friend. How often do I hear that? If I tell my friend honestly, I'll lose him as a friend. So, I hear there's about 7 billion people on the planet right now. There might be other friends. Yeah, but there's only 1,000 residents on Galliano. I might go through all of them. Yeah, you might. Then you can be a hermit. Well, you can get on Skype or um, Facebook. And then you've got like, you could, have, you could have millions of friends, all digital. All digital friends. Does it make any sense? Yeah. So the best thing you can do is through mindfulness, awareness, study, learning, observation, having spiritual friends that are intelligent, is begin to stop over and over those wave patterns, those maps, those speech patterns, those bodily activities that do harm or erode the power and the strength and the goodness that you have. And what do you do? You stack up the odds. Do you understand? Stack up the odds. How do you stack up the odds? You add one better moment after another better moment. You do generous things for other beings without expectation. You do good things that build goodness in other beings. See? You manifest patience and energy and mental concentration. All these good qualities build up a tremendous amount of strength like an unshakable mountain. Make sense? That's karma. That's positive karma. So now we turn to the positive section. After that heavy-duty section about where you're going to go uh, and what can happen to you, in the last one, we have section B. Yes. Yes. And looking at things in a mirror. Yes. Do they always still contain meaning? The objects in the mirror still always are they always imbued with meaning? Only if you only if you imbue them with meaning. There's nothing. Go look in a mirror. What's in a mirror? You still think there's a real thing in a mirror. There's nothing but a reflection of whatever your mental state is. It's just appearing. See, you must have deep insight to see that every moment of your being is an appearance as, as transparent like looking in a mirror with no substantiality. It must break. It must snap. Otherwise, the clinging is massive. And it hurts. Or it's pleasurable. Pleasurable, hurt. Pleasurable, hurt. Pleasurable, hurt. Pleasurable, hurt. But nothing's being affected. Only thing that happens is you get secretions appearing. And the secretions appear real. They feel real. And you keep identifying the sensations of your body, the appearance of your body, the feelings in your body, the perceptions as your perceptions. There's my birdies. You know I hear that song? Mm. Those are my birdies. 
It's my bird feeder. It's my garden. It's my property. It's my land. It's my arborist tree. And you're all my students. How many students are How many students are They're all my students. No, your appearances in the mind, that's it. Beautiful appearances. Temporarily rising and then vanishing, like wave motions. Hmm? The belief that it's actually a solid entity is what produces this karma. Unravel that, you unravel it. But how do you get there? You have to build a wholesome being. You don't build a wholesome being that's strong, you can't do it. Because every time you look in the mirror, you'll see yourself. You do not. You simply see a reflection that's not actually yourself. Go test it out. You don't see yourself in a mirror. You don't even see yourself straightforwardly in a mirror. You fill in the gaps and think you see yourself in a mirror. Nobody sees themselves in a mirror. And mirrors don't even reflect what they, what they show accurately. So, go look in a mirror and um, see that uh, all what you see in a mirror is your own mind creation. Okay, I'm going to carry on. Meritorious Carmen's result. That is the supreme way, not supreme because it's not finished yet. There's more. But that is really the basis, is all clinging to self-viewing of this apparitional self is what creates karmic patterning. If you stop that, then you even stop birthing. But because you've now taken a bodhisattva commitment, then uh, you uh, may find yourself being rebirthed to do what? Birthing to do what? To take on the relieving of suffering of other beings. Why? Because you're not scared to be an apparition. What happens if you're not scared to be a reflection, a mirror for other beings? So what? What's the worst they can do? They can poke the mirror, the image in the mirror. Meritorious karma and results. Number B, page 117. One, the karma. Avoidance of the ten non-virtues constitutes the ten virtues. If you avoid doing not good things, you can either do neutral things which don't produce any karma, or weak, really weak karma, or you can do good things. Furthermore, living in accordance with virtuous activity means protecting the lives of others, practicing great generosity, maintaining moral ethics, speaking truth, harmonizing those who are unfriendly, speaking peacefully and politely, speaking meaningfully, practicing the reduction of attachment and development of contentment, practicing loving kindness and so forth, and engaging in the perfect meaning. That means engaging in uh, reality or what actually is Dharma. All of these activities are going to be spelled out in future chapters, which is called the antidote. Okay? So first, the next chapter, if you've looked, I think you probably have, the next chapter is loving kindness and compassion. So now you're going to uh, turn on the afterburners 
of, of good activity by more and more vaster and vaster loving kindness, which is the basis and compassion, providing the basis for the arising of wisdom, which cuts the root of suffering. Number two, the results. Virtuous actions also have three results. Quote, the result of maturation of the act is that one will be, that, that one will be born in the human or God realms of the desire world. The, quote, result similar to the cause is that one will experience a long life by avoiding taking life and so forth as related to all the rest. And the general result of the force is that by avoiding taking a life, one will be born in a good place with strong properties, a special environment, and so forth as related to all the rest. What this means is, is always think of karma or uh, kama as a force, that mental intent. As the Buddha said, I say ye o bhikkhus, quote directly, I say ye o bhikkhus, uh, chetana, which is intent, is kama, direct quote. Right? All mental intent is karma. That's where it all begins the impulsion of the mental event. So it's like a force. Remember I said this morning? It's like a force. If you can feel that force, this is why we really slow down in meditation. Have you ever felt that force like someone's got hands on your back and pushing you? Mm -hmm. Ever felt that experience? Mm -hmm. It's quite something, isn't it? Like you're actually being propelled and there's actual hands behind you and shoving you out the door? Shoving you to the refrigerator at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> shoving you here, shoving you there, driving you here. That's, that's the unbeknownst to you, your own mental, what they call the unconscious. Hmm? Your own maps of mental impression driving you here, driving you. But the consciousness is split. And because there isn't sufficient mindfulness, you don't know it's your own your own mental impressions pushing you. How did I get here? How did this happen? God darn it, I can't believe it. How did I ever get pregnant? How did I get this job? Why am I in this relationship? And why am I even on retreat? And so on, and you get it. And so on, and so on, and so on. Why, why, why? Who's pushing you? And the split is so big and the mindfulness is so low that one simply doesn't witness or experience that the mental impressions and the little tiny thoughts that go on, the discursive blur, 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 all day long, fantasies, dialogues, chit, 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 all day long internally, are actually the impressions. They're the, sorry, the, the chetana, they're the volitional moments. And that's why great masters said, what you are now is really what you are. I know that sounds funny. That's like a title, title of a great Dharma book. What you are now is what you are now. There we go. Oh, that sounds very wise. Oh, I get that. No. But the sum of what you are right now, totally, right here in this room, studying Dharma, is actually what you've also done before. 
If you want to know past lives, then you can, you, you'll know. What is the major component of your life? That will tell you all about your pre previous formations. And to the forced degree to which you're doing that is the degree to which that shaping has occurred. And it's going to say a lot about where, not you, where that consciousness is going to go. It's imperative to create a very, very strong good karma. Like a force. So this is a beautiful, this word, I like the way they translate this. This intent is a force. It's like a liquid oozing force with great power. And you can build it so it's so strong that nothing stops you. This is great merit. Nothing stops you. It's beautiful. I remember, remember uh, living with Namjul Rinpoche and also living with Karmapa for, for a time, for a short time. The force of those beings enacting things like a royal command. And boy, does it get done. That's, that's merit. Huge, huge quantities of merit to enact what is good. What is good for many beings. I mean, it's wonderful. There's a beautiful book. If you want to read a beautiful, beautiful Dharma book. Bla is it called Blazing? Blazing? Blazing Splendor. And it's the life story of Tulku Urgyan Rinpoche. Blazing Splendor. Beautiful. And in there he describes his meetings, sometimes his meetings with, this, with the uh, young 16th Karmapa, who was his teacher, one of his main, I think maybe his root teacher. No, I'm not sure, sure his root teacher. Right? He spent quite a bit of time with him when he was young. Uh, in in um, uh, Serpu, outside of Lhasa. And the commands, the, and the fights between these two guys. Whoa, what minds. But commands by Karma. You know, suddenly, leave now. I want you to leave in a week. You're going to go here, and over there you'll find that, and by doing that, you're going to create this monastery, and by doing that, this will get disseminated, and so Just his mind would just open and see exactly as work. But you've only got a short period to do this. Event. This is karma. Understanding karma. Seeing actually that beings have short times to actually take all that merit and do something with it. But the command, do it. Don't waste, don't, waste, don't waste the preciousness of this. For the benefit of many, and by the way you do this, all this will happen. And he was dead on. Absolutely dead on. Tremendous. That's what we're working towards. That kind of force of strength. The general result of the force is that by avoiding taking life, we'll be born in a good place and so on. But it's all about, about uh, enter, being able to have the wisdom and the, the clarity to enter into good supportive environments to unfold Dharma. Good places. And uh, by the way, a good place isn't always um, a fancy place. A good place for some of you may be a high-altitude retreat in Ladakh somewhere. Rocky, barren, difficult. Yeah. Other person might need 
a beautiful little cabin in the woods somewhere with all the mod comms. Did you understand? It's hard to say. By these are shown the karma of cause and result of merit. The precious jewel garland says, quote, non-attachment, non-aggression, an unobscured mind. See, this is just right there. You don't need anything else. If you heard that, you need nothing else. All you have to do is train that. Non-attachment, non-aggression, an unobscured mind. And all good qualities come. That's what we practice. And the karma created thereby are virtues. All the higher realms come from virtue, as do peace and joy in all other lifetimes. Those three words, if you have something to memorize and write down, that's, that's what we practice. That's what we practice in meditation, that's what we practice in dharma, over and over again, non-attachment, non-aggression, and an unobscured mind. That produces beautiful loving kindness and compassion. C. Karma and result of unshakable meditative concentration. One, the karma. By practicing the cause, meditative concentration of equipose, of equanimity, one will obtain the results born of meditative concentration, what's known as dhyana in Sanskrit. The meditative concentration of equipose has eight preparatory steps, eight levels of actual meditative concentration, and one special meditative concentration. So now we're going to refer to the eight, uh, eight different, uh, what are called in Pali, uh, jhanas, or jhanas, sorry, jhanas, which are absorptions, usually translated as absorptions, meditative, concentrated absorptions. In uh, Sanskrit, uh, dhyana, D-D-H-Y-N-A. Thank you, Raphael. The result refers to the 17 realms within the form god realm. That's the Rupa Awachara. Have we been over this before? All, all following along? The Rupa Awachara, the sphere by which these happy, pleasant states of concentration appear uh, or, or emerge as a... Uh, a rebirth continuum. Here the cause and result will be directly related to one another. In general, all are based on the ten virtues. If you have a lot of virtue, a lot of virtue, and you store it up, and you develop it, and you've concentrated states, guess where you're going to end up? In that mental place. Either on earth, as a godlike being, or in a mental continuum as a godlike being. Because why? That's what you practice. That's your focus. The first meditative concentration begins by practicing ejection. Did you did you follow that? Now the word ejection. Uh, he's he bless his heart, he's doing an etymological number on the Tibetan, uh, which is um, thugs, I think, thugs. But uh, it means jhana, mental ejection. It means to move from step to step to step. To, it means to move higher. That's what the word ejection means. Why that word? But uh, uh, the, the actual word is in Sanskrit is, is jhana, which means uh, to have a continuum of mental concentration. But, but what's referring there is to move step by step up ejecting the mind upwards. That's what it means. 
It doesn't mean by uh, ejecting your consciousness uh, through your heart, you know, these kinds of things. And the comprehensible preparatory stage of meditation without obstruction, the completion of which is the foundation for the first actual meditative concentration. The actual achievement of the first meditative concentration dissolves gross appearances and mental factors, and what remains is a very subtle discursive thought reflection. This is means this means your thoughts are very, very few and far between. The mind is one-pointed. You feel good. You feel slightly to quite blissful. But basically, you're, you're able to be with whatever object it is for sustained periods of time, and it feels darn good. Yes? But there's very little thought. Uh, at this time... Uh, we could do a really proper job, as Nam Jhumpurse would say on this, but I'm not going to. Okay, I want you to look at the text. It's got the terms uh, of... Uh, it's actually only got a few of the terms, but um, it really is Vitaka, Vichara, Sukha, Piti Sukha, Nekagata. Yeah, you could write those down. And though that is the order by which... So, so first of all, you put all of them down. This is exactly, I'll, I'll tell you how it works. So, basically you have five factors. Those five factors are present when there's mental concentration. What happens is, as you eject, cool word, wouldn't quite, as you move from one concentration to another, you eject out the previous factor. And by removing the previous, as it says in the old, old text, the polytext, removing a factor brings you to the next level. So you don't really, you remove a factor and then you find that you're, that the conscious moves to the next level. Just change Wichara to uh, one one C. No H. Yeah. Uh, we V I and Kara. So it's uh, Chara V I C A R. Yeah, that's good. Excellent. Uh, You uh, made that into uh, four. Uh, there should be five. So, first of all, Wataka drops away, and then there's Vichara, Piti, Sukha, Ekagata, and then Vichara drops away, and there's Piti, Sukha, Egata, then Piti drops away, and there's Sukha, Egata, Sukha drops away, there's Ekagata, which is the same as Upeka. Yep. Yep, five. We will follow the Abhidhamma tradition, not the Sutta tradition. And Akagata equals Upeka. Good. That's what ejecting is. Technically, that's what ejecting is. Eject one out, spit up, get rid of discursive thought, 
And next thing you know is you're, there's nothing but the object that's called wichara, So it's actually it's wichara, 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 No, talking on. No, moving up. Uh, wait a minute. Wichara, 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 wichara. Wataka, wataka, attacking to, and then going to. Okay, that's fine. Wataka, wachara, piti, sukha, akagata. Once you drop uh, any discursive movement, any any movement away from an object, then all there is is a feeling of bliss. Some of you've had this. Some of you've had this. Yes, just blissful mind, perfectly concentrated. Nothing but the object. Nothing but the mental experience. The body's gone. How do you know you're in sukha? There's no body. It's not negative, by the way. It's very blissful. It feels very good. Okay? You, there's no body at this point. That's how you can tell with sukha, because you, you, you will not have a body. Occasionally, the mind can come out and experience the body, but chances are you won't be able to move anything. You go, the, the, the hands might be leaden like, like lead balls or, uh, or funny objects, the leg might be like, or the legs might be like odd appendices until you get used to it. Hmm? These kinds of feelings. Very slow, very... And then as the sukha vanishes, uh, one isn't even blissful. There's just... Oh, PT, by the way, is energy joy, physical joy. All kinds of physical manifestations of, of um, joy, blissful, blissful physical sensations all the way from minor little tinglings and ants and uh, itches and um, hurling around and, I don't hurling around, hurling, but uh, moving around and speaking in tongues, all the kinds of things, to uh, orgasmic um, rushes through the body. Doesn't, not talking about um, sexual orgasm necessarily. It can happen. It does happen, but occasionally. But... Um, uh, a full body orgasm, arm orgasm, head orgasm, mouth orgasm, touch, taste something, orgasm, touch something, just go, just like that. Put a cough drop in your, what, 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 even with the plastic, and gone. Okay, that's, that's PT. Sukha, no PT. You don't even have PT anymore. Just Pure mind bliss. When PT goes, there's nothing but pure concentration. No body. Not even happy or not happy. There's just pure, utter concentration. Nothing left but concentration. Okay? So, now we'll go through this. And so on and so on and so forth. The actual uh, achievement of the first meditation concentration dissolves the gross appearances and mental factors, and what remains is a very subtle discursive thought reflection of wachara, uh, joy and bliss. This is, this is one system. By practicing this meditative concentration, will be born in the first god realm of meditative concentration, the Brahma realm. By practicing special meditative concentration, will be born in the Maha Brahma realm. If you experience, as many of you have in this room, if you experience jhanas or dhyanas, you will feel godlike at that time or afterwards. And if you've experienced it once or twice and you're not used to it, you will, experience, you will think you're uh, in nirvana, like you've attained. And it's very hard to convince you otherwise because you're so happy, you're so blissful, 
uh, you're floating on air, you're five feet above the ground, and no matter what anybody says or anything happens, even going to work is like... And if it's really strong and it's full jhana, uh, it can last a week. Just... Hi, how are you? Fine. The second meditative concentration, you can see why it's so addictive. The second meditative concentration begins by practicing ejection and the comprehensible preparatory stage without obstruction. In the actual achievement of the second meditative concentration, the first two mental factors, subtle discursive thought and reflection, now calmly abide, and one can only experience the two mental factors of joy and bliss. By practicing the meditative concentration of joy and bliss, one is born in the second god realm of meditative concentration called the, the gods of lesser light and so forth. That's because the body is like a body of light. There's no, no, no physical body, it's a body of light, just a body of light, very fine body. Likewise, the, eject, the, the ejection and preparation should be understood for all the rest. So this is it. So that's what ejection means, is one, two, three, removing one, you eject into the next stage. Like a... Um, well... Uh, like the ejection of one stage of a rocket from the other. See? So you've got, you've got uh, the full rocket going up into the atmosphere, maybe up to oh, 20 kilometers, and then there's a separation, the, booster, the big boosters go down, and there's an ejection of the next stage. Sounds very male and phallic, doesn't it? Were you thinking that as a psycho? You weren't. The actual achievement of the third meditative concentration, joy, is avoided by practicing the meditative concentration of bliss. One is born in the third god realm of meditative concentration called gods of lesser virtue and so forth. Uh, they use a, he uses a word here called avoid. So uh, joy is avoided. And actually that's the technique that's used. So you have to identify where the impediment is for the next ejection. So by clinging to joy, which is piti, you don't get to sukha and akagata. If you cling to sukha, which is no body, just blissful absorption, no thought, you won't get to akagata. You see? So you actually have to uh, avoid, learn to avoid, come back out, learn to avoid the sticking points, the clinging. Okay, and so forth. The fourth meditative concentration is the practice of avoiding subtle discursive thought, reflection, joy, and bliss. You eliminate discursive thought, reflection, joy, and bliss. Upon completion of the fourth meditative concentration, will be born in the fourth god realm of meditative concentration called without cloud. No clouds. Just sky. Just open sky. After renouncing the fourth meditative concentration, the next stage is called limitless space. Now, this is called according to the Sutta tradition, not the Abhidhamma tradition. The Sutta tradition is only four. Okay? And the, and the Abhidhamma tradition is more specific. Next is the leap from uh, 
the form, subtle form realm to the formless realm. And the first one is space. Okay, so now you encounter space like mind. When you remove the clouds, what happens? Space. After renouncing the four meditative concentrations, the next stage is called limitless space. Limitless space, not limited. That's, uh, that's in the first set of one, two, three, four, five. So you can have space here, but it's bounded space. You can have light here, but it's bounded light. Do you see? And that's very common. So the experience of bounded space and bounded light are extremely common in one to five. Normal. Room full of light, body full of light, uh, completely absorbed into space of an area the size uh, of an atom, or ba- uh, fully absorbed into the space-like nature of the size of this room, or the planet Earth, or the solar system. That's all bounded. But when all the boundaries go, then the consciousness is in boundless space. Not transcendental. By practicing that, one will be born in the God realm of infinite space ayatana. Basically, yeah. What do they have as a footnote? Just curious. Yeah, using ayatana as a base. I wonder why. It should be infinite space, uh, like acharya, as a, as a base. It's okay. Renouncing that results in the state, state of limitless consciousness. So, boundless space. You can write these down. Boundless space. Boundless consciousness. They, by the way, they usually happen together. They flip back and forth. Very fast. Boundless space is encountered usually first. Then boundless consciousness. That's basically consciousness without any boundaries at all. Renouncing that results in the state of nothingness, which is no thingness, not nothingness. Nothing, really, nothing that can be found at all. One can't find anything definitive at all. Nothing feels like it is. Uh, a thing. All walls feel like they're hollow. There's nothing there. One actually often doesn't see anything. One just experiences uh, nothing at all. Renouncing that results... uh, Renouncing that. Removing the clinging to nothingness, no thingness, no thing at all, nothing left in the universe, uh, results in being born in that state, neither perception nor non-perception. By practicing that, one will be born in the God realm of neither perception nor non-perception. That means a change of perception. There's neither neither a perception nor um, non-perception. Perception goes. No need to perceive a thing. 
What kind of path is that called? Born from renunciation, it means rejection of the lower levels, thus becoming free from attachment. Now, I want to discuss this with you tonight. What does this mean? This line, very important. Free of attachment. If you read that, you'll say, aha, it's done, because isn't that the path? Free of attachment. But it's not. The progress from 1 to 8, okay, 1 to 5, 1 to 9, in Abhidhamma terms, but in Sutta terms, uh, 1 to 8. To be able to do it requires less stickiness. Make sense? So to be able to be absorbed in an object, whether it's space or light or any kind of mental form or a flower, to be truly absorbed in that requires... Uh, and the mind to be still requires less stickiness and less gross clinging. As you progress to PT and there's less clinging, you feel really good in the body. Yeah, some of you, many of you, you've all experienced this, yes? If you're on a massage table and you let go and you're being massaged, oh, does that feel so good physically, yes? That's PT except someone's doing it for you. Okay? So they're pushing your, your channel, the, the breath in the channels, the prana in the channels, and you're going, oh man, or, or woman, this is good. And there's nothing but that feeling of physical pleasure. Right? That's, that's like, like a jhana. If there's no discursive thought, that's like a jhana. Very close. But someone's instigating it for you. See? But you have to be in the right state, too. If you're clinging, thanks a lot. You're hurting me. Or thanks a lot, but I couldn't get into it. Hmm? I don't feel like it today. I felt like a jacuzzi, maybe. I, feel more like a, I felt more like I should have had a jacuzzi. Or, or a Thai massage, or a Tibetan massage, or a Burmese massage, or, or a Kung Fu massage, or something. Hmm? I just made that up. Kung fu massages. No, kung fu massages. Okay. Something. See? So it takes uh, less and less stickiness uh, to this. But it, it's still clinging. So I'm not, uh, not keen. I like that. I'm not keen on no attachment. But less sticky clinging. And it's a good training because... To become unified with the other requires the dropping of you. More and more and more. So by the time you get to a kagata, which is pure mental concentration of the object in unity with one's own mind. It's not transcendental, but it's a lot less clinging than normal uh, behavior. right? And you get to experience a kind of non-clinging awareness, which is very, very special, very, very wonderful, and can be downright addicting. Because it feels so darn good. Okay? And some people make that the path, their path. God-like realm. In the Arupa jhanas, it even gets better and better. Because to let go of you having mental concentration, you're just going to have to have boundless space. Absorbed into boundless space. Absorbed into boundless consciousness. And so on. You see? So, the practice of these uh, absorptions 
is very, very good for practicing insight because it frees up the stickiness and the clinging, but, it, but it's also its own clinging. Okay? But it makes the mind supple. It makes the mind extremely concentrated. Uh, if you practice these, you'll be able to place your mind wherever you want to place it for a very, very long time, for a very long time, and be absorbed in what you're doing. Okay, so many, many of you have had these experiences. Some have a proclivity to this; some do not. To become awakened, you do not have to have this. Okay. Later, when the absorption has been fully actualized, they are not brought into the mind. The last one is so named because there is very little perception. Perception is gone. Extraordinary feeling. No more perceiving whatsoever. Not even perceiving you, not perceiving mind, uh, not perceiving at all. No sensing. Not even mind perception. Although there is no clear perception, there is also not none. Because there is something going on. There's a recording, a trace. Generally, all eight of these actual meditative concentrations are based on a one-pointed, virtuous mind. This is the explanation of the karma, cause, and result of the unshakable meditative concentration. The precious jewel garland says, by the infinite meditative concentration and formlessness, one will experience the bliss of Brahma, Brahma God-like realm, and so forth. So if you remember from the biography of Gampopa, and when Gampopa met Milarepa, Gampopa at that point was able to remain in a meditative absorption for one week. No thought. No thought, blissful, clear, perfectly absorbed for an entire week without moving. Okay. What, what level that was at of these, it, it doesn't say. And of course Milarepa said, that's nice. <laughs> but, uh, so what? Buddy. That wasn't the six, 6 6.6 pages tonight, was it? No, that was only two. Could actually read right through to the end. A little bit more. Ascription, number three. This third category, ascription of karma, means that you experience results of the karma you create. Results will ripen in the skandhas related to the actor and not to others. This means uh, that the uh, what you lay down will end up um, ripening in the five skandhas. So they will be experienced, it will be ripen in the five skandhas, be experienced in your perceptual doors, in your perceptual experience. That means you see fuzzy things, or because you don't want to see clear things, or you see pink elephants, these kinds of things, or you can't hear, not because, maybe genetically, but because you don't want to hear, or you don't want to hear certain things. You know, 
I think women say that about guys sometimes. Have you heard that? It was that same comment, but, you know, men, women have this too, of course. Selective hearing, yes. Um, it's like, you know, the opening the refrigerator, you can't see the peanut, peanut butter jar. That's because, well, making a joke of that. Okay? The, uh, the karmic patterns will show up in the feelings. The karmic patterns will show up in the mental continuum and so on. You see, that makes sense. Huh? Just means it just means one will experience the maturation, the karma one has created. It means it's going to be in you, not in others. This has been a big debate. In, uh, since, uh, since the Buddha passed away, after the Buddha passed away, this became a, a big debate. Where does karma, where does, you see, have you, I haven't asked that. Where does karma happen? If this karma is a thing, where does it happen? If it's a force, where, does, where is it located? How can karma or activities go from one lifetime to another lifetime? And whose karma is it? And if you say, Idante, Punikamang, Asawaki, Wahangho, too, and dedicate merit, how can you dedicate merit for others? How can you share your karmic activity? So according to some scholars, in the time of the Buddha, although that goes right back to the time of the Buddha, uh, there was no sharing of merit. You could not share your merit. I don't agree with that, not from what I understand. But you could not, you can't share your karma. It's your karma. You can't, short, you can't share your merit by, by giving it to somebody else. Interesting. Yes? Doesn't it make no sense if you just refine into the truth of no separate self? Then, then, you know, who's to say that your karma is yours in the first place, in some sense? Okay, give me another one. If there's only intervening, yes. then how could it be other than yeah, but uh, that interbeing is a modern uh, is a modern term, a modern invention. Hmm. So, in many many writings and many many uh, discourses, uh, karma is an individual activity, and, and and actually no mention of collective karma. Collective karma came later. So, how can you share your merit? By the way, I'm agreeing with you. I'm just, just saying. So, so, so this particular, this particular karma, karma is not the karma of others, right? Thus, the sutra says that karma is created by uh, that karma that is created by Devadatta will not mature in the earth, water, and so forth. But that karma will ripen in the skandhas and the ayatana. That's the base of all the mental arisings of that particular individual. To whom else would the karma result? In other words, when Devadatta, who is the Buddha's uh, cousin, this is what it refers to, tried to murder the Buddha because the Buddha would not make the order vegetarian, uh, the karma that, uh, of, that, uh, of that mental formation ripened in Devadatta, not in the earth, not in the plants, not in the sky and not in other beings that ripened in Devadatta's mind stream. That's what you're referring to. Hmm? 
There's many beings that say, well, these people did this, therefore it's affecting all of us. But is it? Is it actually in your mind stream? Are the See, the imprints are laid in your mind stream. The effects may be on other people, but it's not your karmic traces. Do you follow? That's what they're trying to point out. Be careful that you don't make up a mystical thing, is that because so-and-so did that, I'm now affected, and that's my karma. They're trying to get you away from that. You might be interconnected to them, but you don't get their imprints. Just because there was a murder, a murder in the community doesn't now necessarily mean you're infected by a murderous uh, pattern in your mind. Does, do, you, do you understand? You're not infected like a virus. That's what this means. And the rocks aren't infected. The water's not infected. Unless they put something in the water. Do you understand? So people go, well, there's a vibration of that and it bothers me. But that's not your uh, imprinting of your mind. If you make it your imprinting, are you hearing this? If you make it your imprinting by projection, it will become your imprinting. If you now have emotional affect building because somebody murdered somebody else or someone stole from another house or someone burnt down a house or somebody did something or somebody said something bad to somebody else and you wake up with that the next morning and you're pissed off. It's not because they did that. It's because you now have adopted that into your stream of becoming. Is that, is that clear? But there's a lot of that going around. And that's, that's just wrong view. They made me do it. I'm now infected by psychotic activities. That's psychosis. Yeah. Strict result, number four. The fourth category means that one will experience happiness and suffering without mistake through the results of virtuous and non-virtuous karma. One will experience happiness through the accumulation of virtue. By accumulating non-virtue, one will experience the result of suffering. Also, the collection of the Abhidharma says, quote, what does strict result of karma mean? One experiences the maturation of the karma one has created. One strictly experiences the virtue and non-virtue, the karma one has created. We've been over this before. From the smaller, uh, close contemplation, quote, one will achieve happiness through virtue. Suffering results from non-virtue. Furthermore, virtue and non-virtue clearly explain karma and results. Another sutra, and the sutrata requested sutra says, from the hot seed will be born hot fruits. From the sweet seed will be born sweet fruits. With these analogies, the wise understand the maturation of non-virtue is hot and the maturation of white seeds, is, uh, white deeds is sweet. Just understand that which you sow, so you reap. We have that in the, in the, right, in the, in the, in the Christian tradition. That which you sow, so you reap. If you, if you uh, buy a rose plant from the nursery at 25 or 30, well, with inflation, they're probably now 35 or 40 dollars. I haven't looked recently. Uh, but if you buy a, a, a fine rose and you put it in the ground into rocky soil and you don't actually put good soil in there, what do you get? What have you laid 
because of your mental state. A, a rose that's not going to go well. But if you prepare the ground and you give it lots of nutrients, right, which is virtue, what happens to the rose? It loves it. It goes nuts. I mean, look at those Shasta daisies. I don't have a clue what's in that soil, but they're, they're going crazy. Yeah? I've never seen Shasta daisies like that. I didn't plant those, so I don't know who did that, but I'm very pleased they did. Whatever's in that soil and the light and all the conditions are going... Have you ever seen them like that? I've never seen them like that. They're going nuts. It's amazing. And look how bright they are. Go out there and look at different Shasta daisies, and there's some yellow and wilted and droopy and that. But those are just fun. <laughs> it's like the eucalyptus behind it. Well, I put that in the ground. I, I gave it lots of uh, stuff. So, so what you lay in is what you see the next year. Right? Yeah. Okay, that's what they're saying. Maturation. Well, actually, I'm going to go, go to the end here. Increase from the small. This, the fifth category means the maturation of a big result from a small karma. For example, regarding non-virtuous deeds, it's said that one will experience a kalpa in the hell realm for each instant of negative thought. Did you hear that? Each instant of negative thought will land you for a kalpa 4.32 billion years in hell. Engaging in the conduct of Bodhisattva says, quote, The Buddha has said that whoever bears an evil thought against a benefactor such as that of Bodhisattva will remain in hell for as many eons as there were evil thoughts. By one or two instances of negative speech, one experiences suffering for 500 lifetimes and so forth. The verses spoken intentionally say, even from a small non-virtue, there will be a great fear in the next life and the source of all sufferings, like poison entering into the stomach. By even a small, by even a small virtuous action, a great result will ripen. The verses spoken intentionally say, quote, even if one creates small merits, it will lead to great happiness in the next life. One will achieve a great benefit like a prosperous harvest. Now, may I make a statement about that, please? doesn't quite work that way. If you have a very, very weak mind and you do something very small negatively, it has a tremendous impact and will ripen. This is why I know, I know of someone who, who, someone very close to them, uh, took one snort of cocaine and ended up in the hospital and has been suffering from psychosis ever since. I know people who have taken heroin and cocaine for five or six or seven years and got off it and are actually really fine. Because they got big storehouse of merit. Their genetics and everything else are really good. Okay, So this means if you do something, watch out. You can do something that's really tiny. You may, for instance, let's say in this house from your teacher, you may see something and go, oh, they won't miss that. I'm not saying you will, or, or something like that, right? They won't miss that. Just a little, you know, envelope left in the donable, or a book, or, or I don't know, you know, uh, some flowers, but, but, or, or something else. They, it, won't, it won't be so big. That could weigh on your mind your entire life. Do you, do you understand? If you don't have the merit to, 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 to actually process that. 
in the same way that one little good act with the right person could be the most life-changing thing they ever did. So this is small act makes big thing, big, big result. The greater your merit, the greater your storehouse of merit, little good things, little virtuous things can have huge repercussions. And big things can have very big repercussions. See? But negative things can have very big repercussions. But you can withstand it more. All hell, all hell can break loose around you. And uh, you can still stand it. It might not even be yours. It might just be other people's. So be careful. They're saying, they're saying really, watch out. Be careful. If you're weak, the littlest thing because you don't know what's been done in the past, you don't know what your mind is really like, can create an avalanche effect. Little things. You know, I'll give you a little story. It's kind of fun things. I remember being in Arizona and Phoenix, so I need to take money out of the bank back way long ago. It was a great moment. And I took out, I think, $100, $200 US, and I got my slip I looked at it. I've got $999,000 in my bank account. Hmm. I wonder if I should take out a few thousand. Nope. Because the dukkha of... Ta- That's actually theft, you see. Even though it's in my bank account, it's theft. So I went, you know... It's not worth the trouble. Simply not worth it. And it's not mine. Obviously not mine. I did, I did not have that much. Right? And after a week, I waited, and I took out some more. And of course, it was gone. But uh, for that period of time, it was <laughs> nine, 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 nine. But you can see somebody doing that, yes? You can see somebody going, well, who's really going to notice if I take out 5,000? Yeah, wow, so what? It's my money right now. You see what happens? And that means that they could be arrested, go to jail, yeah, be in court. It can cost them maybe two, three hundred thousand dollars in lawyer's fees. Do you understand? Just trying to get extracted from that. Right? So you, you see the implications. One little thing can have the effect of a whole series of cascading events. Right? Now, as many, many lamas have said. But life is difficult enough of the effects of other things on you as it is, with, even if you're virtuous. Okay? Remember about samsara? Not easy. So how strong you are is how uh, virtuous and how good your karmic formation is, is how well you will stand the vicissitudes, the the movements of samsara that are to do with not even your karmic formations. Yeah? So it's very, very important to build up a lot of virtue because when it hits, which it will, for arahats and for enlightened beings, uh, it can hit very hard because of all the past that they've done, yes, they've been involved in, 
all the interconnected phenomena and being at the wrong time at the right place. And as Nam Jumpurche said, sometimes, sometimes you just get sick. Right? Sickness is, you know, as they often say when people say, well, you know, I got, sick, I got a cold because of my bad current. Shut up. Right? Sometimes a cold is just a cold. Get used to it. It's called being a human being and any kind of creature, right? Or falling off a snowmobile because you hit a bump. Bad karma? No, you hit a bump. If you go in a snowmobile, what happens? Sometimes you hit a bump, right? You fall over. But one time you might fall over and you break your arm. And you see, the simple thing is, uh, because I'm bad, and there's a storehouse of bad, I hit the bump, I hit the bump, and I broke my arm. And because I broke my arm, I was in the hospital, and I met a doctor, and then we got married, we had children. That was all to do with my mental state when I was and the karma of being on the snowmobile and hitting the bump. But people do that all the time. Yeah. Right? We got married because I had a snowmobile accident. Yay, yay, yay. Okay. Sure. Yes. What's the storehouse? What is the stuff the mirror is made from? Where is it located? What is the mirror made from? A mirror, a mirror, merit or mirrors? I'm not sure I, see, but I mean merit. What is merit? What is it made from? What's the substance? There's no, there is no substance. There's mm. a pattern. No. Yeah. When it, when it, when it forms a being, when a being is created, it lays down the patterns, and it's stored in your, in your being, in your body. But is that located anywhere? And can you pin it down? I suppose we could go in there and do some brain surgery. Okay, I'm, going, I'm, going, I'm really I'm closer. Okay. Oh, good. Number number six, inevitability. The sixth category, the inevitability of karma, means that unless the antidote to karma appears the result will come without waste or loss, even through limitless kalpas, through eons. Is somebody in the back of the room bored? It looks like it. Through limitless kalpas have passed. Karma may lie dormant for a long time, but somehow when it meets with the proper conditions, the result will come out. So you watch for those conditions. Yeah? That's what this means. So do you understand? Life can throw any kind of conditions at you at any time. That's what I was saying to Patricia the other day. Right. What was I saying? It's Expect the unexpected. You never know in your next moment where the unexpected, you never expected that to happen. I never expected to get sick. I never expected to slip on the stairs. I never expected the car to be there. I never expected the pan with oil to fall off the, the stove. I never expected that I would leave the stove on. I never expected that, I, that there was too much creosote in the uh, fireplace. I never expected that there would be ever a tornado or an avalanche or a hurricane or an earthquake. Right? 
or a death in the family or that my loved one could die suddenly without me. Did you follow? Any time, any place. So what they're saying here is when that happens, the wave action of all the previous comma is going to come into effect and how you react is what's important. Does it make sense? How you react is what's important and that's why you have to purify right down to the ground, to the ayatana. The ayatana. The storehouse of all, all mental formations. Why? Because they're gonna, you never know when they're going to pop up and react. Someone could come along and you could be walking down the corridor in the house and they say, boo, you could have a heart attack. Or boo, you might strike out and go, oh, like that. Hit them in the face, they punch you back, and you're dead. That's happened, by the way. Make sense? You never know. So, so purifying down to the depths of the karmic reactivity, the maps, purifying the maps, uh, helps you tremendously when the unexpected, not all the controlled life situations, but right, which we try to do, but the unexpected, which is going to happen, which is going to blow you away. The earthquake, the tornado, the emotional tornado, tornado, being fired from a job and you have no money saved up. The financial system crashes. You have no access to your visa card, no access to your bank account. All the satellites around the planet are fried. Can that happen? You bet it could happen any moment. One little jerk Greedy little jerk in London or New York or Hong Kong could bring down the entire financial system of the entire planet or a little hacker somewhere or a big hacker. Do you know that? Completely. You won't have access to anything. You might not even be able to use your air ticket to get on a plane because a computer system won't recognize that you have a ticket. That happened to, to one of us uh, in going through Germany, right? The computer system didn't recognize a valid uh, pass that had just been printed out. When you go in there, the barrier said you just wouldn't let them. What happens if the person who's there says, sorry, I believe the computer. I know it's a valid thing, but obviously you're a criminal because it, the computer doesn't recognize it. You don't get on the flight. What do you do? How are you going to react? How are you going to get out of it? An invasion. I read a, I read a really lovely story uh, told in an interview recently uh, during, the, during the Syrian uh, episode, let's call it, episode of madness. And uh, this uh, living in Damascus, this woman and her husband, uh, having their second baby. And it's a premature baby in an incubator in the hospital. And uh, some of the security chiefs of the, uh, of the country are, are blown up by Al-Qaeda. And uh, they decide to close down all electricity in the city to um, 
see if they can find them, right? Her baby died. Now, some people would do what? Cry, gnash their teeth, become paralyzed? Yes? What did they do? She said to her husband, that's enough. Let's get out of here. Let's pack up right now and get out of this country. And they packed up their stuff and they drove checkpoint after checkpoint after checkpoint, got through bombings and fires and military things, went over the Turkish border and said, that's, that's not that, 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 this is, see? So different mind, which is karmic imprinting, will react to a situation differently. Instead of having a collapse and nervous breakdown because her baby died in the hospital, that day or that night, the next day, they packed up their stuff and said, that's enough, we leave. The sign is there. Other person, they stay. Yes, do you see? Did you get it? So, so you, you, we're, th we're sitting here thinking, what? Everything's fine right now, right? Nothing's going to happen. I'm not going to do anything wrong. Nothing's going to happen. That's not true, is it? You don't know when. No idea what can happen in life, correct? Good, wonderful, glorious opportunities. Yes? Fantastic opportunities. I've seen people who've been given magnificent opportunities and they never heard it. They never acted on it. They were paralyzed. They couldn't do anything about it. Yes? I once watched Namjur Rinpoche giving someone an opportunity to go on a beautiful long boat trip and said, I can't. I just can't. I can't. I can't do it. Why? Well, I've got to work. I've got to do this. I can't, can't do it. You know what I did? I was sitting in that room and I said, I'll tell you what. I'll take your job while you go on that trip. I just, I just went like that. I said, okay, guess what? You're going on three, Rinpoche's invited you on a three-month boat trip. I will take your job. I was capable of taking that person's job. I won't tell you what it's about. It had already been discussed long ago. I could, I could do that job. A friend. Can't do it. No, can't do it. Oh, boy. The results of that action. Not because Namjoon ever got mad, but the, the life falling apart thereafter. That's why I said, I'll take your job. That's called seeing karma. I knew that was it. Sad after. Oh, yeah. Inevitability. So this is what, uh, when the mind gets more awake and more clear and sees more and sees the patterns of karma and has the, the intuitions of the unfolding results of karmic formations and sees where the being is going to land up and what's going to result, this is the inevitability. But it can change because it can be purified or changed at any time. So you never know which conditions you'll meet, positive and negative. Thus one becomes afraid of the suffering of samsara and gains confidence in karma and results. So do you understand? If you don't understand karma and how it unfolds, it's hell. It's, and you miss incredible opportunities for growth. The person that says, Oh, you know, I've got time. I can go on retreats. Oh, I've got time to be with my teacher. Oh, I've got time to practice. I've got time. I've got, I've got time. I've got 
or this or that. It's okay. One who turns his back on the pleasures of sorrow and abstains from non-virtuous deeds, but who is interested only in his own peace, is called the mediocre person. Interested in their own peace. Interested in their own salvation. Interested in being a nice, peaceful person. And when uh, the, the winds of karma sweep away, sweep in society or in your mind or in your family, whatever it is, womp. As is said, one can cultivate the mind of a mediocre person. Uh, by the way, all of you took a commitment <laughs> the other day to uh, not being a mediocre person but becoming a saint. For an example, uh, we're almost uh, finished this page. See the seven daughters of uh, King Kriya. I think that's uh, listed back here. The Sutra of a Hundred Karmas says, All the karmas of all the beings will not be lost even in a hundred kalpas. When all the cause and conditions come together, the result will mature. The smaller type of close contemplation says, quote, It is possible even for the fire to become cold. It is possible for even the wind to be, le- to be leashed by a rope. It is possible even for the sun and moon to fall to the ground. What does that mean? The sun and moon to fall to the ground. Even, the, even those two may expire. All that has to happen is a black hole needs to come in and suck out the sun. Just like that. The moon? It's already had one major collision. It just needs another, right? When's that going to happen? You don't know. Boom. What would happen if we lost the moon? Or it broke up? By the, but the maturing of karma is infallible. It's not fate. Don't, don't think of it as fate. It's just that which is sown eventually ripens. And the less merit one has, less strength that happens, the whomping is big. If you have tremendous merit, one can actually uh, do very, very difficult things and withstand it with great composure and be able to use it for the path and allow karma. The stronger you are, the more you can allow karmic karma to ripen and be able to handle it and let it ripen fast. Very common when one meets one's uh, root teacher or a close teacher that uh, uh, karma, a previous, previous result in formation, is not, not that you're doing more, just stuff those waves of formations that have been laid down, ripen and, and billow forth and come out and get freed. So, so uh, that can happen in retreats. Uh, Wonkors are especially effective for that. And uh, just even meeting one's uh, real true uh, heart teacher. Both positive and negative, they get liberated. You want that. It's a good sign. As fast as possible. This is the sixth chapter, dealing with karma and result from the Jewel Ornament of Liberation, the wish-fulfilling gem of the noble teachings. Okay, fairly fairly straightforward. Just gain, just gain three pages. Some blanks. Thank God for publishing. There's some blanks in there. <laughs> <laughs>
I didn't count the blanks, so there's surprises. Okay, let's take a uh, a morning uh, a morning to practice, and we'll see you tomorrow night here. Yes, we good. Tomorrow night here. Good. So if you could read ahead for loving kindness and compassion, and uh, uh, deepen your meditation in whichever way you can. And uh, I'd like to say again goodbye to those lovely beings that are leaving us. And uh, uh, may well, we see more of Nancy too, and hopefully uh, others. Come on, come on over if you like. And uh, thank you so much for being here, part of this community, and uh, uh, strengthening, uh, being a part and strengthening uh, uh, everybody. It's wonderful. Thank you. By this powerful activity of of, uh, of uh, sharing dharma, may it lead to the cessation of the sufferings and delusions of all beings. Idante punyakamang asawakiwang odu. Idante punyakamang asawakiwang odu. Idante punyakamang asawakiwang odu. Sebesata sukhantu. May all beings be well and happy. May all beings be established in a continuity of freedom. Perfect union of wisdom and compassion and the full manifestation of Buddhahood. Many blessings to all beings, many blessings, many blessings, many blessings.